The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I'm going to be offering you an alternative to uh, election news. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about all of that because uh, there is so much to talk about. Um, and, but, you know, I, as I realized what today's uh, topic is, I realized that actually there are some connections to the election and to just in general trusting our government, which um, is really getting to be a serious issue here. Regardless of which party you're on, you believe in, you, you want to see in the White House, um, it is of concern. I mean, today, this morning, I just tweeted about how um, Julian Assange's um, Internet connection has been cut um, just, you know, just in the midst of his releasing more and more emails about Hillary, amazing emails. I mean, you know, these things are so much more important than, um, you know, Donald Trump's flirtatious or whatever you want to call it, lewd, I don't care what you call it. I mean, I call it locker room talk. But anyway, um, whatever you want to call it, the things that are coming out in these emails are so much more serious and have so much, so much more of a serious implication. And of course, so right in the middle of of Assange's WikiLeaks, uh, you know, letting these, sending out these emails little by little, uh, his email access gets cut. And now I know a lot of people have been saying that, uh, oh, well, Obama apparently today <laughs> called, um, said that Trump was whining when he was saying that the election might be rigged. But my tweet this morning was about if, if Julian's, um, Assange's, if the WikiLeaks, um, transmission, internet transmission, could be cut, and he's in Ecuador, <laughs> is it really that far-fetched to think about our election being rigged? I don't think so. And today's guest and the topic for today fits actually right into all of that. We're going to be talking about um, innocent until proven guilty, or is it? Um, which also calls into question some of the, the Justice Department, and something that we've just taken for granted from our elementary school or middle school or high school uh, civics classes, social studies classes, um, these things that we just never thought would be at risk, we always just trusted would be safe, that we would be safe, that, that an election being rigged in America, what? Um, the Internet being hacked, 
because in order to favor one particular party, what? But, you know, these things are happening before our eyes. And actually, in my tweet, I I ended it with, um, please wake up. Uh, By the way, I I always forget to give out my Twitter handle, and I'd love you all to to check it out. I don't only check, I I don't only tweet about the elections and terrorism and so on. I actually tweeted about uh, the ruby red slippers of um, of Dorothy this morning as well. So there's there's you know it's not all gloom and doom, but it is where I try to wake you up to things. Today we're going to be talking with David Merkatz. He is the author of a book called Wrongly Charged, and it's his story of how innocent until proven guilty didn't work for him. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. <clears throat> now, before we get into this whole wrongly charged issue, let's just tell people and give people an idea of who you are, who you were before all of this happened, so we know whether we can trust you or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, basically, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Ah, we can trust you. (laughs) We can trust you. I started out when I was uh, 18 years old as a locksmith in Brooklyn, New York. I got my locksmith license there, and I stayed there till I was like 23, till my uh, father moved to Florida. I always wanted to get away from the cold weather. So I came down to Florida in 83, and I said, let's find out what I have to do to be a locksmith here. And it was an amazing thing to find out that Florida is one of the few states in the whole uh, United States there was no regulation of any kind to be a locksmith. So mm. there was no licensing, no fingerprints, no tests. So when I came down here, I was kind of surprised because in New York City, you have to be fingerprinted because, remember, you're carrying burglary tools. You're going into people's houses. Mm. You're opening doors. Florida is one of the only states that has tried but has no legislation of any kind to be a locksmith. So it draws everybody that wants to be a locksmith can come to Florida mm. without any you know, knowledge or anything. You just can be a locksmith and just go out and put deadbolts in and do uh, whatever it takes. Mm. So it was really easy to start here. I put ads in the yellow pages. And for, you know, from in the 80s, everything was great. If you had a big ad in the yellow pages, <laughs> you got plenty of work. Everybody picked up the book. If you're the first one in there, you got plenty of work. And as the years went by... Less and less yellow pages, people started with the Internet. Mm-hmm. And we got into, uh, like, the year 2000, it was mostly Internet, and hardly anybody used the yellow pages. And the problem with that was is that when it first started on the Internet, you know, the cost for those pay-per-click ads that everybody sees on their iPhones and everything was like 25 cents a click, and it was no big deal. Well, as it got into the 2002, 2003, certain industries, because there's a monopoly with the Internet right now, there's only one search engine that 95% of the people use. Mm -hmm. So what was happening is the, the certain industries like locksmiths and plumbers, the cost per click to be in the top three where people would see you on the iPhones or on even on the desktops was $20 to $30 a click. Wow. Which is amazing. And, and the problem with it is, is this particular search engine, which everybody knows who I'm talking about, uh, doesn't do much to help the merchants on click fraud. So if your competitor, they know what you're paying for these ads, goes to two or three different computers with different IP addresses, clicks on you two or three times, and in about an hour, you can be out of business. Oh, so wow. it's really 
Yeah, and it ha- it's still going on to this day. And because there's no other competition, uh, they get away with doing it. There's, you know, there's a class action lawsuit, but uh, it, uh, it really became a major thing. So it became where we were spending more money and we weren't making any money. It mm-hmm. got to be really, really bad. So, you know, as the years got into like 2006 and 2007, I actually didn't know how I was going to exist anymore. And I had a meeting with a few of my independent contractors, and we were like, what are we going to do to drum up business? And there was no real way to do it except come up with an idea. Well, everybody was advertising A's in the yellow pages years ago and got the first position. So we came up with an idea, which uh, I admit from the beginning wasn't a, a nice thing to do. But before we did it, we checked with four or five different attorneys and assured us that there was no criminal intent. You know, we couldn't be arrested for it. That we, The worst thing that could happen is we would be sued for it. So what we did was we did what major companies do. They come out with a product or a service. We imitated we found a company, for example, that was ABC Lock Shop and Security Center, and we registered the name with the state of Florida, legally, ABC Locksmith. And the idea in my mind was that if somebody called 411, they weren't going to ask for ABC Lock Shop mm. and Security Center. They were going to ask for ABC Locksmith, and we would be able to get the call. Uh-huh. And we did that with two or three different companies, and it actually worked very well. It was a great thing. I mean, it wasn't a great thing for the other company because we were, we were filtering some of their business. Basically, people thought they were calling the other company. We went out. They got the same product or service that the other company offered for pretty much the same, cheaper sometimes, a little bit more expensive. But it wasn't like the customer didn't get what they, what they called for. They called for a locksmith. They got the same product. Uh-huh. So uh, obviously, the other companies were not happy about it. But see, the thing that aggravated me is the state of Florida registered these names legally. Took the money. They could have said, you know what, these names are too similar to your competitor. We can't authorize you to use them. But they did. Uh And four or five years, we did it. And I'm not going to say they were happy, the, the other companies were happy about it, they were losing some business, you know, a call here, a call there. So we were doing pretty good, actually, <laughs> couldn't complain. Oh, yeah. And uh, what happened was in 2013, we got a phone call in Palm Beach, a rich area in Florida, and the customer called up and said, I have a lock on my front door, I need rekeyed, can you come out and rekey it? I'm sure. So I called up one of the independent contractors. I texted him the information. He got over to the house and uh, knocked on the door. Are you this company? Yes. He opened up the door. He took the lock off the door, took it to his truck, and changed the pins inside so that the old keys on the lock wouldn't work anymore. Uh He reinstalled the lock, and they tried the keys. They paid him for the job. And when he was walking out to the truck, they knocked him to the ground and said, you're now under arrest for burglary of an occupied dwelling, grand theft, and impersonation. And that's what? how the story began. Yeah. Yes. So this was, who were these people? Well, this was a sting operation. What happened was one of the companies that we were doing this to, that we were filtering some of his business, just happens amazing that just happens to do the work for the Palm Beach County Police Department. It's their account. 
So evidently, they have a friend over there, and they probably said, hey, you know, this guy is, you know, taking business away from us, and can you help us out? So they, oh, they got all excited. They said, you know, oh, he's using your name. Well, we weren't using his name. We were using a name that was similar that the state of Florida registered. Uh-huh. So to, teach, to teach us a lesson, this is what they did. You know, they called him out there, are you this locksmith? And he said, yes, of course he said he was yes. It was the name that we had registered. Uh-huh. And when he got done, they arrested him, but they charged him with crazy charges, burglary of an occupied dwelling, like he broke into the house, grand theft, and impersonation. And he was hauled off to jail. And the interesting thing is, on the burglary of an occupied dwelling, that's a serious felony. And he was being held without bond. He couldn't even bond out of jail. Wow. Because, well, burglary, you know, think about it. Burglary of an occupied dwelling, a judge looks at that. There's no bond for that. That you broke into the house while someone's home, you know. So he had to, you know, get an attorney, spend a lot of money, and finally convince a judge to let him out on a uh, $10,000 bond until he could, you know, get his story, uh, you know, out there, you know, what yeah. happened and everything like that. Yeah. But it didn't end there. After that happened, the same detective that arrested this gentleman called one of our other independent contractors and said, uh, we're conducting an investigation. We would like you to come in for an interview. And I had told them, listen, if you want to do an interview, do it by phone. Because after what happened, you know, uh, I wouldn't go there. Yeah, yeah. He did not listen. And he went for the interview. And he was arrested and charged with the same three charges. But wait, where where was the interview? At somebody's house? Well, no, the interview was at the police station. So why did he... How could well, they have charged him because, with the same again, he charges? Didn't think he did anything wrong. The police called him up and said, Peter, you know, we, we arrested your friend. We're, uh, we understand you've done work for this company also. We'd like you to come in and, you know, tell your story. And that's what happened. They arrested him, too. You know, I think there's some technical... I can't hear you. So let's go to a break. My guest is David Mercatz. His book is called Wrongly Charged. We'll be back to hear more of this. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm sorry for a little technical difficulties here. Um, we're talking with David Marcass. His book is called Wrongly Charged, and he was right uh, in the midst of his story telling us about uh, his adventures as a locksmith in Florida where apparently you don't need to be uh, to get any license um, or get fingerprinted to, to be a locksmith, which seems like a very... Um, <laughs> Seems like an accident waiting to happen, but we'll go back to that. But in the meantime, David, I was asking you before before we had technical difficulties um, how it is that the other contractor who was working for you, um, the locksmith, um, was called down to the police station, and how did he get charged with the same charges if he didn't go to a house? Like, how do they charge him with breaking in um, if he wasn't even at a house? Well, what happened was they, uh, when they arrested uh, Josh, they went through all his receipts, the first guy, and they found out that Peter also had done work in the same area, mm-hmm. okay? So they knew he had also done work in Palm Beach using uh, our company. So they wanted to get more information from him, and they had records of his jobs that he had done, not that particular day, but weeks before or months before in the area. So yes. they arrested him and charged him with the same charges. I see. Just on the basis of knowing that he had at one time or many times gone to houses and posed as a locksmith, so to speak. Yes, and they weren't arguing that he was a locksmith. What they were arguing was is he wasn't, that he was misrepresenting himself. And the interesting, this was very interesting. They charged him with burglary of an occupied dwelling, grand theft, and impersonation. Now, when the state finally filed the formal charges. You know, it takes them 30 days to review the case. On both people, this was very interesting, the only charge they did drop was the impersonation charge. Huh. They kept the burglary of occupied dwelling and grand theft. And I, was, I could never to this day figure out, because that was, I figured their whole idea was to charge you know, them with the, with the burglary of the, uh, the occupied dwelling, they knew it would never uh, stick, but it was the impersonation. But that right. charge was uh, filed as no prosecution. So the only two charges that were left for them was the burglary of the occupied dwelling and grand theft. And to this day, I don't know what they burglarized. You know, uh, I can't figure that out. And what they stole was nothing because they didn't even give them a new lock. They took their lock off the door, rekeyed it to a new key, and put the existing lock back on. So there was never anything taken out of the, out of the house. It was, it was just teach a lesson. That's what, what it was, teach us a lesson. Okay, so what happened next? Well, the next part of the story is after these two guys get arrested, naturally I am thinking, well, guess what? They're going to come for me next, sooner right. or later, because... I'm the one that, uh, me and my partner, that set up the website. Right. Well, my partner was from Israel. He dis- dis- decided that he was going to go back to Israel and disappear <laughs> so they couldn't prosecute him. And yeah. uh, I, co- I retained an attorney, and uh, months went by. This happened in February. March, April, May, didn't hear a thing. June, didn't hear a thing. July, didn't hear a thing. August, I get a phone call from my attorney, and he says, I have bad news for you. 
there's a bench warrant for your arrest. The detective called me, and uh, they won't tell me what it is. It's a sealed warrant. Huh. And uh, he's being nice about it. He says he wants you to surrender yourself. <laughs> so this was on a yeah. Friday, which I actually thought was nice, you know, because sometimes they can just come and bust your door down. Yeah. So it gave me plenty of time. So I called up, and I t- in my book I have a section on bail bonds and, you know, how, why you should have a uh, bail bondsman. They have a source of information that's amazing. So I called up my good friend, Mark, and I said, Mark, I told him what's going on. He goes, no problem. He says, let me make a few phone calls. He called me back. He says, well, I can tell you what the charges are. The huh. charges are organized scheme to defraud, oh, wow, money yeah. laundering, and impersonation. <laughs> money wow. laundering, yeah. Yeah. And he says, I can even tell you that the bond will be set at $19,500. Hmm. So I said, okay, no problem. So what I did is, uh, knowing how to work the system is a good thing. I met with him. And we filled out all the paperwork and had everything ready. So on the following week, on a Tuesday, I surrendered myself, but not to the police. I went to the main jail so I didn't have to have a confrontation with uh, the officer. And I surrendered myself at 9.30 in the morning. And I would never forget, everybody was looking. You know, they saw me. They were like, what are you surrendering yourself for? It was an odd case. And they said, oh, okay, there is a warrant. And uh, I told the uh, police officer when they took me and what was going on, he goes, oh, my God, he couldn't believe it. I said, yeah, well, you know, what can you do? So because I had all taken all these steps and known what to do, after the four or five hours went by, I was actually able to bond out immediately. See, because today everything is electronic. So the minute the charges are read to you, it's posted into the system, and he just has to press a button and say bond it. And that was huh. it. So I actually, in record time, five and a half hours, was able to be released and home for dinner. Wow. So that worked out. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things you need to, to know that in the event you get arrested, instead of spending 24 to 36 hours in jail, there are ways you can bond mm-hmm. yourself out without having to see a judge or anything like that, unless it's a serious crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, I teach that in one of the chapters of the book how to do that. So I actually bonded out of it quickly. And that's when the nightmares begin because now you have the uncertainty of what's going to happen. I mean, these are serious charges. Money laundering is a second-degree felony in Florida, 20 years in state prison. Wow. And organized scheme to defraud is also a second-degree felony, 20 years in state prison. And mind mm-hmm. you, all we did was use a similar name to, to get some business. Nobody mm. got hurt or anything like that. Mm. But it was a very, very scary few months that went by. Yeah, okay. So as the months went by, um, you know, the state knew they had nothing. Let's be honest. Nobody broke into anybody's house. So the first guy that was arrested hired an attorney, which was one of the best attorneys here in Florida, and the case was dismissed. Huh. The thing that you don't realize is that unlike in a civil case, in a criminal case, win or lose, you lose. And people say, what do you mean? Well, he had $20,000 in attorney's fees. The case was dismissed. The state doesn't say, okay, I'm sorry, here's your Uh Uh $20,000. So he's out $20,000. He got the case expunged. He has no criminal record, but he's out $20,000. Teach you a lesson. You'll never do that again. Hmm. If the state, if the rules were the same as in a civil case, 
okay, where win or, if you win, winner takes all, well, guess what? They never would have arrested him because they knew that he's, what are they going to, how are they going to go in front of a jury and say, oh, he was using a similar name, you know, burglary of an yeah. occupied dwelling. So his case was dismissed. We go to the uh, second guy. He also hired a prominent attorney, and they gave him, he didn't have as much money, so he wasn't able to afford uh, a $20,000 attorney, so he got a $5,000 attorney. <laughs> and in his case, they gave him what's called a pretrial diversion, which basically means don't get in trouble for six months and the case will be dismissed. And that's what happened to him, and his case was dismissed too. Okay. So those are two that are gone. Now, when they came to me, you know, you've got to understand, this was an interesting case. It was the front page of the newspaper huh. in August. Oh, yeah, this was like a murder case. And uh, it was top story of the news. And the officer in charge got a promotion to lieutenant from this. He, uh. like he can, yeah. And what they spent on the case was more than a murder case here in Florida. They uh. hired forensic experts. Oh, you, would, I mean, you have to read into this story what they spent on this case. Like it was the crime of the century. And they couldn't walk away with nothing. They were like... I mean, we gave this guy an award. We got to do something. To, so naturally, I come to be the last guy. They don't want that. In the beginning, they didn't want to make a deal, and yeah. it was a scary thing. It was very scary because these are these are serious charges. And I'm thinking to myself, if this case goes in front of a jury, and there's business people on the jury, which could happen, they might not like what I did. Mm. You know. They might yeah. not like it. They might think, you know, that wasn't nice. He stole business. People get convicted all the time. Yeah. So as the months went by, they realized that they, you know, we really didn't have a case for money laundering and all of that. Uh, so they made, they made a deal. And the deal was very sweet, actually. They pled it down to a six counts of misdemeanor, petty theft, with adjudication withheld on all counts. So I said to myself, you know what? If I pay a few thousand dollars in fines, even to people I don't know, just to make this go away, and I don't have to spend an additional non-refundable $35,000 for a trial, which God knows is possible you could lose, that would be the smart thing to do. Okay. As, so that's what I wound up doing. In my case, I wound up doing the, uh, the plea deal with adjudication withheld and a little probation. It finally came and went. And uh, I was very upset about it because, you know, I look at it like, yes, what we did wasn't nice, but it goes on every day. There are, you turn on the news every day, there's someone that comes out with a product or a service, someone changes it a little bit, imitates it, they take them to court. They sue them or they send a cease and desist, but they don't arrest somebody and ruin somebody's lives and smear them all over the Internet or because of something like that. So uh, I had to get my story out there and make sure that the... Uh, book got published, and I, t I wrote a whole book and t taught people exactly what happened, but then I go into detail and I teach them, you know, why do people plead guilty to crimes they didn't commit? These well, are now reasons. I have a question. Um, go ahead. So is that on your record? I mean, what, are, do you have a criminal record now? Well, I have a criminal record for the uh, petty theft. Uh, uh, I can have that expunged if I want, but it's not even worth it. It's a misdemeanor, Okay. Adjudication yeah, but I would, think that that, I would think that any kind of criminal, even of mis misdemeanors, um, would not be great for someone who is a locksmith. 
Well, actually, it doesn't affect your business because, you know, I own my own business. And, and you know, you, the funny part of it is you can have a gun license. And it, it's a withheld adjudication in Florida. It's like there's no conviction, okay? Yeah. And it can be expunged, uh, but you can only use your expunging one time in a lifetime. Mm. So, you know, <clears throat> there are things that can, you know, that I, in my case, I didn't do it. But the, in, in the other cases, they did spend for an attorney because theirs were felonies. That they, that they, one of them was dismissed, and they wanted to just have it off their record. Mm-hmm. Personally, if it was dismissed, I don't really think it would have mattered, but they wanted to have it off their record, so they got yeah. it expunged. Yeah. And, well, um, here's a question. Did all this front-page news uh, increase your business? Well, actually, what happened was, you know, <laughs> when I first published the book about a year and a half ago, I got on every radio station across the country except South Florida until late, till the last minute, one station. They didn't want to, you know, they were, let's be honest, they weren't happy about the outcome. I mean, they spent from December of 2012 till August of 2013, they hired forensic experts. They went, to, you know, they went through so much money, taxpayer money, to, in the end, have six counts of petty theft. It doesn't look good for them. Yeah. Right? And, they, and, they, and they're still not happy about it. The story doesn't really end. It's still continuing. You know, uh, they weren't happy with the outcome. And the fact that I would dare, I mean, it was a dare, publish this book. Uh, when I was on probation, they tried to, issue, to try to stop me and violate the probation because I was still on probation when the book came out in February of 2014. And I went before a judge, and it was very interesting. The judge said, this book will be published. And there will be nobody that stops it. Oh, yes, the judge was on my side. He says, there's nothing wrong. I've read this book. It's a very interesting book. (laughs) He's telling his opinion of the legal system and and actually a very helpful book to other people. And I don't see anything in here that says, this book will be published. Anybody that tries to stop it, they'll be, you know, he issued an order. Did you you ask him if you could put his... uh... Um, statement on the back cover? <laughs> no, but that was an interesting order that he issued because everybody thought I was going to lose, but of course I won because, you know, she was telling me you can't profit off your criminal activity. Mm, I says, what yeah. criminal activity? I pled guilty to petty theft. I'm writing a book teaching people how, you know, how you can seal or expunge a conviction, uh, what to do, why people plead guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And even stories that people, good people that I know here in South Florida that had an incident and they didn't take the plea and what the end result was. Uh, and there were some sad cases here in South Florida. And even uh-huh. a friend of mine in New York on a tra- how, how your life can be disrupted if somebody points a finger at you and you get arrested. And, you know, unfortunately, you have to bond out of jail and you have to prove to the judge that you didn't do it. You're on bond. You know, it's a very scary thing to be arrested. A lot of people don't realize what goes on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what, what about that, um, the fact that you're not supposed to profit from your alleged crimes? But it isn't a What I did was, first of all, they have a problem with that because uh, it was a misdemeanor and they, they issued an adjudication withheld. When adjudication is withheld, it means there is no conviction. So technically, I don't have a conviction under I Florida see. law. I see, okay. I see. So, that's, so that affects... And also, so that, the judge said to, the, uh, to them, well, what is he? He's not writing a book and telling people how to rob people. 
Uh-huh. That would have been profiting from criminal activity. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. writing a book on his experience of what happened, how the system works, and how he, you know, how his case came out, and there was, and you know, teaching other people how to get out of jail without seeing a judge. All the things that are in the book weren't mocking the system; it was just telling yes. what happened. And he had no problem with the book. It was it took a very five minute hearing. It was over with. Hmm. So it was very mm-hmm. good. Well, that's great. And the book that we're talking about is Wrongly Charged by my guest, David Merkatz. Um, now, you're saying that uh, this still isn't over, however. There's well, an here's the interesting thing. Now comes the case is over, probation is over, everything is good. In um, 2015, in August, a year and a half later, I get a call from the Attorney General's office in Florida for the same Six victims that we paid full restitution to, they decided they wanted a $10,000 fine for each one. I said, good luck. I wish you a lot of luck. It's not happening. So I I didn't do anything, and months went by, and uh, a year later, they, they filed a lawsuit against me. And when I went to them in April of 2015 to talk to them, they said they wanted $60,000 plus $10,000 in attorney's fees, and we can settle it now. Uh Well, I said, that's not going to happen. I already paid restitution to the six victims. And under Florida law, the 501 statute is pretty clear. It says the agency or the court in its discretion, doesn't mean they have to, can do away with all fines and court courts if it's been shown that the victims have been fully reimbursed. And there's no question that's been the case. Even though I never saw these victims in my life, uh, this is what I did. So well, I how did didn't you, want to you, wait, you, you paid the victims for what? Restitution for well, what? Well, what happened was the, the six, the, there was a bunch of victims. What happened was remembering we're doing these jobs for people, and a lot of these people went into the other companies, and they told them we overcharged them, we did this, we did that. Because let's be honest, they lost the business to us. So they mm-hmm. got a bunch of people to file complaints. I see. Out of, with the Attorney General and with the State of Florida, out of that, six of them came forward and we, uh, that they were overcharged. And rather than arguing with them, I wanted to settle the case. Yes. Even though I hadn't done the job the other people did, I just paid the $6,000 in fines. It was like, like $6,500 that, that got dispersed to the six people that felt that they were overcharged. Uh-huh. Okay, you know, I just figured it was cheaper than paying attorney's fees and going yes. to trial. Uh, you know, sometimes you've got to cut your losses in life. You right, learn, right. You know, so, but I never expected now, which is what they should have done to begin with, it should have been a civil case from the beginning. Now they want two bites at the apple. Yes. They want, now, so I, you know, I was being very nice. So they filed the lawsuit. Perfect. Now they wanted $70,000. This is in April of 2015. So I filed an answer in November of 2015, and it came all the way to the 11th hour about uh, a month and a half ago. They filed, uh, they're looking for a summary judgment. But interesting, now their attorney's fees a year later, which mm-hmm. they haven't incurred anymore because they copied all the stuff from the criminal case, went from $10,000 to $68,000. Oh. So they're going to have to show a judge for a $60,000 fine. They took the, Flor- the state of Florida $68,000. Uh-huh. You know, I, I find that a little excessive. Who would spend $68,000? Yeah. 
So I was willing to negotiate this because I said, you know what, if I have to call an attorney to fight this, it's going to cost me ten dollars or $15,000. So I spoke to a very nice woman in the attorney general's office. She was very nice. And she said, you know, we'll try to work this out with you. And I said, okay. I said, you're not getting any fines. I said, because if it goes to court, you're going to lose. Well, she said, that's not the only problem. We want an injunction against you that you can never be a locksmith again in I said, your law license would you'd lose before any judge is going to uphold that. Because even if I wasn't with adjudication withheld, pleading guilty to six counts of petty theft is, doesn't raise enough that a judge is going to bar me from being a locksmith for the rest of my life unless I was charged with burglary of an occupied dwelling or something serious that, you know, there's no judge in the state of Florida. So yeah. it's an interesting thing that it happened today, actually two hours ago. She yeah. called me up. She says, I was, it, it's not about the money now. They were willing to lower the fines unless you're willing to sign an injunction. I said, she says, then you're, you're, you know, we haven't got a deal. I says, I wish you a lot of luck in your endeavor trying to get that. Wow. Well, we need to take a break now. This is a good spot, but huh, wow. Well, uh, talk about uh, David and Goliath, one person against the government. Um, this is a great un- and unfortunate example. My guest is David Mercatz. His book is called Wrongly Charged. We'll be back to hear more of this. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with David Marquez. He is the author of Wrongly Charged, a book about his true life experiences um, as a locksmith from Brooklyn who, who came to Florida and, and uh, ran into uh, a bunch of trouble. You know, you know thinking about it, um, I mean, there are so many people, especially since the recession started in 2008, I mean, there are so many people out of work. There are so many people suffering financially. 
Um, I mean, not to say that, not to say that you, that there was no, um, you know, that you didn't know that you were sort of outsmarting, trying to outsmart the competition, but it certainly doesn't seem like anything that should have been illegal. Um, and, and really, you know, if more people used <laughs> ingenuity, I mean, not to, not to screw each other over necessarily, but I mean, um, it, it just seems like a like an honest. Well, it seems like a relatively harmless. Let's put it that way. Mistake, and it wasn't like you were stealing from people, and you were providing this locksmith service and so on. It was just all about your name, which um, you know people do that all the time. Triple A this, triple A that to get to be the first in the phone book when that was primarily used, or. Um, uh, it really doesn't seem to be much more than that, you know, than that common practice of people using triple A or people starting their company with A such and such, you know, A locksmith company. A, I mean, just to get to be the top, it really isn't that much different. So, so to go, be going through all this and still be going through it, it, it just seems outrageous. Well, you got to understand, the companies that were affected lost business. I mean, let's be honest. If you had a flower shop and it was ABC Flower Shop and I opened up ABC Flower Shop, you'd be angry. But in, yes, but in a normal have... society, what would happen is you'd go to court and file a lawsuit and get an injunction to stop me from using the name. Right. You wouldn't call yes. the police and say, this guy's using a similar name. Right. I'm going to arrest him. Right, and that right. was my argument from the beginning. And the funny part of it is I checked with all the attorneys before we did this, and all of them told me honestly that it wasn't nice what you're doing, and yes, you could be sued. You could get a class action lawsuit. Just be prepared. And I was prepared for that, but what I wasn't prepared for is to spend $100,000 in legal fees and be charged with all kinds of you know, criminal stuff. You know, if they were going to do anything, the attorney general, first of all, my whole argument with the attorney general with this lawsuit with them that they did now is like I said to the woman, which happens to be a very nice lady. She only works there. I said, did I ever get a letter in the mail, cease and desist? No. I said, and also, don't you find it odd that you have all these complaints, but all four companies that I did business with have an A-plus rating in the Better Business Bureau? I find that a little funny because most people don't call the attorney general if they feel they were taken advantage of for a locksmith. They would call the Better Business Bureau or, uh, you know, something like that. And it's just fine that odd that you, I got A-plus ratings in the Better Business Bureau with no complaints or one or two complaints that were resolved. And in yours, you got all these complaints. And the reason they got these complaints was very simple, because I hired a private investigator, and uh -huh. I found out what happened. What basically happened is this police officer went into my checking account. Huh. And he looked up, yeah, he looked up all the names of the checks that were deposited, and he called up the victims and said, hey, did you use this company? They're a scam artist. They stole the name. Maybe you should change your locks. Maybe they kept the key. Huh. Well, if you got that phone call, you would probably, oh, file a complaint also. Obviously, right. the police call you, you know, and say, this guy isn't this company, and he stole your name, and he came there, you know, and stole business from this poor other company. So naturally, they, all these people got together and filed complaints on the direction of the police officer. And wow. the problem is, is that I didn't have the money to take this to trial and another $35,000 and depose all these witnesses in, into like a murder case where the state has unlimited funds to do that. Just like in this case, they got a $60,000 fine 
that they, they spent supposedly 68000 in legal fees. No normal person that somebody owes $60,000 would spend 68000 to collect. Right, so right. they take taxpayer money and they take advantage of it. And right. you, the small guy, can't fight them. Because an interesting thing also is with the attorney general, if they get a judgment against you for $120,000, it's not dischargeable in bankruptcy. They can keep that against you forever and come after anything you own. And that's why they don't care about spending the money. The laws are very funny. It's like an IRS judgment. So, and I, that's why I was offering to settle with them. But when they came back and said, you can never work again as a, a permanent injunction, I said, you know what? Now you want a war? It's going to be the worst war you ever had. I'm going to call all the media up and let them know what you're trying to do. And I don't think you're going to win the case. In fact, I'm positive. I'm so confident. You may win the fine, but to get a permanent injunction, I think your chances are less than zero. Because you have to show a court. I mean, I've been in court before that I present a public nuisance. And the fact that I paid restitution to the victims on, on a minor petty theft thing doesn't show as a public nuisance. It doesn't do that. You have to really prove that. And even if you got an injunction, it wouldn't be permanent. It might be for a year or two, which it's been over a year or two already since I haven't been in the business anymore. Well, I I was gonna, I, that's, what I, that's what I was just going to ask you. So... So you, you ha- you're, not, you're not in the locksmith business anymore. Well, I'm not in it now, but I do do consulting for some, and I, I might decide to become a dispatcher and help other companies, and I'm not going to have them have me sign something right, that right. they could turn around and say, oh, you violated this, and now you're under arrest because you answered the phone for another company. Right. I don't want to be barred well, from the only thing that I know. Okay, but here, here's life. a thought as a psychiatrist. Here's a thought. <laughs> um, Maybe, isn't there something else in your life? I mean, like, nobody sort of wakes up. When you were a little kid, let's do this. When you were a little kid, when you were in elementary school or high school, what did you want? Because nobody generally grows up when they're six years old and they're asked what they want to be when they grow up. Most people do not say, I want to be a locksmith. I mean, what made you want to be a locksmith to begin with? Well, what happened was when I was going to school, I really wasn't loving school, which was a stupid mistake that I made because I could have been a great attorney or, you know, I have, you know, a lot of knowledge. I mean, uh, but I didn't love school. So I didn't finish school, and my mother was very upset about that. I didn't, you know, and I just, she says, if you're not going to go to school, you have to do something. You have to make money. You have to, you know. So what I did is I went to work for a, lock, a locksmith distributor for free, because that's what you did years ago to learn the trade. And I, I found it very interesting getting in, opening doors, putting deadbolts in, and, and helping people that were broken into. And there was good money. I mean, at one point in, in New York, I was making more than, you know, a, a, it was a very good profession. I was making $100,000 a year you know, back then. So mm-hmm. it was a very good profession. It was rewarding, and I enjoyed it. So that's why I stayed with it. But the competition in Florida became so severe because, unfortunately, everybody is stuck advertising on one search engine, which is cost prohibitive, and uh, I didn't know what to do. I mean, we handed well, out how about moving? How, okay, how about moving back to New York? Well, I don't want to go back to the cold weather. I mean, I could move to another state. It's just that when I feel I'm right about something and I'm 100% sure that they're not going to win this case, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I mean, when I know I did something that wasn't nice, but I don't think that it it goes to the remedy of being barred for permanent injunction as a locksmith. And Mm -hmm. I've spoke to a lot of attorneys, and they all agree with me. Yes. No, yes. I can see that. So what... 
are you doing, since you stopped doing, so you're still doing consulting or are you starting? Yeah, I'm still doing consulting. You know, I help other people. But, you know, at some point I might decide I want to do it again. You know, no, I would never do what I right. did before, obviously, you know. Right. But uh, I don't want to be told that for the rest of my life yes, no, I'm not going to let the state of Florida order me around. Right. They no, did no, enough I, of that around. I, I understand that. I agree with that. Well, well, why don't you, what are some of the tips that you talk about? I and mean, one thing that was kind of interesting was when you were talking about um, getting, uh, getting in touch with a bondsman and already working that out before turning yourself in. I mean, I guess, like what, are you saying people should have, uh, or people who don't do, people who do not nice things or people who do risky things should have a bondsman on speed dial? Everybody should. I can give you examples. I have a story in my book about somebody that, you know, years ago before we had computers that got uh, uh, arrested. Uh, well, he didn't get arrested. What happened was originally he got a traffic ticket for speeding. Uh-huh. And he was court ordered to go to driving school. And he went and he mailed in the certificate. Well, the clerk never entered it into the system. So he didn't realize for the last year he was driving around with a suspended license. And he got pulled over one day and they impounded his car and he was arrested and he didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. It was a warrant for his arrest because he didn't comply with the school. So people can have a mix-up. Anything can happen at any time. Uh, You don't pay a fine. It doesn't get put in the system. So you can get arrested for anything. It can happen. Somebody can point you out. I have a case in that 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 happened also. So you've got to know what to do if it happens. And if you're charged with a nonviolent crime, there are ways to bond out of jail without spending the night there and seeing a judge. There are, there's tricks to the trade. And I have a whole chapter on how to get out of jail without seeing a judge. Again, not for violent crimes. Shoplifting or, you know, some getting caught with uh, marijuana or something like that. Anything that's bondable in today's day, if you know how to work the system, you can get out without seeing a judge. So I have a chapter in that. I also have a chapter on sealing and expunging. A lot of states offer it so that if you were arrested for armed robbery and the case was dismissed on your record, it's going to come up armed robbery, case dismissed. Private employers look at that and they might not hire you. So there's a way to seal it or expunge it from the record that it has to be taken out, and nobody can see it. And you can lawfully de- deny them that you ever were arrested. And then if you're in a state like New York, which is an unfortunate, that doesn't offer that, there's other remedies you can take to have your civil rights restored so that you can get the real estate license, or if you made a mistake, you know, and you did something wrong younger, you can still get your real estate license or one of the licenses you want so you can get into a business. So I teach all of that. Well, and, and um, I, from your website, um, I get the impression you're also helping people. You gave some examples. You give examples of other people who have been wrongly charged and, and, oh. and put in jail. Um, oh, yes. So you're, are you helping these other people? Well, I get calls on a regular basis on my wrongly charged phone number. You know, even though I'm not an attorney, sometimes people call me up and say, do you know somebody? Can you help me? This is what happened. And if there's something I can do to help them, you know, I do, you know, because it's rewarding to help people that run into these kind of problems. And it happens every day. People get arrested. And unfortunately, the sad part of it is a lot of people like me plead guilty to crimes they didn't commit and pay restitution and do all these things all because they realize that it's a monetary thing and the risk of a conviction. I mean, you can be found guilty just because the, the jury doesn't like you. 
and you could spend right. uh, a long time in jail. The sad thing is that most people know. There are two things a lot of people don't realize. Number one is that the jurors never know that the judge will always, 99%, if you, if you elect to go for trial, give you the maximum penalty if you're found guilty. And a lot of jurors don't realize that. We had a case here in Florida, exactly what happened on a traffic accident. Uh, the guy never was arrested. They offered him a plea deal for five years. He didn't think he did anything wrong, and he didn't. It was an accident. He didn't take it. They sentenced him to 15 years in state prison, and he just got mm-hmm. out about six months ago. Well, All because he decided to go for a trial. He didn't think, you know, it was an accident. He wasn't drinking or anything. So there's a lot of sad stories out there. Hmm. Do you want to give out this number? Um, uh, well, why don't you give out your website, first of all? Okay, the website is www.wronglycharged.com. The book is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. Everybody's carrying it. And I have a toll-free number, one eight four four wrongly if anybody has any questions. Okay. Well, you know, maybe you should, I don't know what the, um, what the law is in Florida about this, but it seems like maybe if you're looking for another career, maybe you should be like a paralegal or something. Are you allowed to be a paralegal? If yeah, because I, every, uh, you know, I don't ha- I have to go to school for which I love, but yeah, right. you could do that. And, you know, uh, like I said, if adjudication is withheld, they can't hold it against you. Okay. I mean, uh, it's, so it's have something you thought I about do. that. Yeah, well, I did, actually. A lot of people said I would make a good attorney. I helped a lot of people, and I, I actually, if you read my book, in 1989, I won a landmark decision against the state of Florida in a gun case that I had from a, a, a prior thing back in uh, 1982 in New York, and it was a landmark decision, and I have it in my book. I actually fought the state all the way to the high court and beat them. And they weren't, they're not happy with me at all, because I fight all the way. To, when I think I'm right about something... I will fight. If I think I'm wrong, I give in. And in this case, being a permanent injunction, not going to happen. I'll take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't think they have a chance. Okay. Well, yeah, so it kind of seems like you would be great. Um, you know, you're doing this for free, presumably, by, by people yeah. calling your number. So mm-hmm. it seems like something that you might, uh, that might be your next career, your next chapter. Yeah, it might be. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I know there are a lot. Of, I mean, it, a lot does depend upon money in terms of getting justice. I know that that's the the um, not the politically correct thing to say, but as a right. psychiatric expert witness for over twenty years, uh, right. I have seen uh, cases won and lost over um, things like the person didn't have enough money to pay for a good enough representation, or right. uh, you know, various kinds of things like that. And yes, it, it is. It isn't always fair, and certainly, certainly, uh, you know, certainly, as you're you being an example of how one can be wrongly charged, and 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 the continuation, how the story continues as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks well, for having me on the show. Well, you're very welcome. Um, we still have a few more minutes. Uh, okay. Maybe one or two. What would you like to leave people with? Well, if they want any, uh, you know, information, uh, you know, they can contact me. I have the, the book is not just about my story. It has all kinds of information on what to do in a traffic stop. If you pulled over, what your rights are in most states, what to do, what to say, what not to say, how to seal or expunge a conviction, 
why sometimes you do need to plead guilty to a crime you didn't commit. It's all about money. So I t- and then I even show you what will happen if you don't plead guilty. And what about why you should have a bail bondsman's card in your wallet. I have a whole thing of information on there and even a glossary that explains all the legal terms in the back of the book. So it's a very informative book. Well, that sounds very, that sounds very interesting. Again, the name of the book is Wrongly Charged. My guest is... Guest was David Marquette. Thank you very much, David. I wish you luck with the rest of this case. Maybe we'll be reading about this, hearing about this in the news. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.